In the session today, we are talking international marketing campaigns. And for any organization that is looking to go international, global, however you describe it, the concepts and ideas, theories and uh, examples that we're going to share in this session will hopefully get you moving forward in the right direction. It's a complex and very much nuanced area, this, uh, this particular topic of international marketing campaigns. Um, we're going to focus really in a number of areas that will hopefully start to uh, give you a first few confidence steps on the journey if this is something that your organisation uh, is interested in pursuing. Uh, and it will begin with market research because we do need to understand um, at a, both a macro sort of very broad level as well as a very, very kind of regional level within certain countries that we might be looking to target. We need to understand their local preferences. We need to be thinking also about the economic conditions as well as some of the differences in customer behaviour that we may well encounter if we're looking to break into these uh, particular markets. Markets. Now, I've got a, um, a specific uh, model um, or theory, rather, that I want to uh, to share with you, um, because um, Hofstede's uh, cultural dimensions theory is something that can work really nicely to get a, a little understanding, if you like, of how cultural influences uh, can play out in customer behaviour. Because if you're used to a particular audience and a particular set of behaviours in your kind of existing models, these may well be very, very different when you approach a new marketplace. Um, and very much, you know, the, the, the marketing angle of um, one size does not fit all plays out in the global market to a much, much greater extent. And it is all about understanding local conditions, local dynamics, local preferences, local cultures, and the local behaviours, if you like, of these target customers, who could be, as we say, uh, very, very new to you as an organisation. So we're going to start to understand some of the cultural dimensions to analyse really the cultural traits within these new target markets, because this could be a showstopper for you right at the outset. It is far better to understand how things might play out at the beginning, rather than devote a lot of resources, a lot of time and energy uh, into breaking into a new market and trying to do your marketing to a place and to a set of um, customer types or demographics that simply are not going to work for you. So this model is, is well worth looking at because what you need to get a sense of as you start to um, analyse you know, particular markets, uh, particular new countries that you might wish to explore, you need to be really understanding how they play out differently to um, your existing markets that you know very, very well. Um, now, what we might find is that there's a difference in power, for example, because some markets culturally will embrace a, a hierarchy, so they will be um, very much um, sort of used to um, sort of operating culturally in a certain way. Whereas they can be a lot more egalitarian in other markets. So the kind of the power distance, um, as we're talking about here in Hofstede's uh, model, um, is a really interesting one to begin with. Is kind of culturally, you know, where is the, the power within this particular marketplace? Um, you'll also see very, very significant differences. And I've got a few examples to share with you of uh, what we might term individualism versus collectivism. In other words, you know, is individualism 
altruistic behaviors encouraged within the culture of the uh, the marketplace that you're looking to get into or is it very much no it's about the collective it's about uh, working together as you know culturally as a society or as a community and the decision making and the behaviors are very influenced in that way uh, again could be very very different to the marketplaces that you're used to also, uncertainty comes into play. The comfort or uncomfort or discomfort with uncertainty plays out really significantly in certain cultures. So be very, very aware that certain cultures will embrace uncertainty. They will be used to it, probably because of their history, the way that um, the politics, the way that the economics, the way that they're governed uh, may well influence that. And in other countries, you might find that actually there's a real uncertainty um, or a real uncomfortable kind of feeling around uncertainty. So again, how would you then, with your products and services and your brand, how would you look to kind of integrate that within that sort of a, an environment? Also, the um, importance or not um, of femininity versus masculinity. You know, is there a, a gender balance here that culturally is something to take consideration for? Um, and, you know, is, is nurturing important from a feminist nature or is power important from a more masculine nature? Um, and again, we're not saying that either is right or wrong. And, you know, we're not getting into the whole gender debate here. This is about sort of innate um, sort of cultural uh, preferences, I guess you could call them. Uh, but knowing whether nurturing or power in terms of the way you position your services or the way you position your messages is really important. If it's more about feeling as a, as a cultural or it's more about thinking culturally within the target uh, country you're going for, then reflecting back your style and tone of voice appropriately is going to be really, really key. And what, what are you going to be comfortable with also is another question, because this might require you to do a complete revamp of what you do already. And you may well want to do that, but you also may well not want to do that. The short termism versus long termism, you know, this particular culture or this particular marketplace you're looking to break into, what is their orientation? Is it sort of traditionally um, sort of you know, short term thinking or is it more kind of futuristic long term view? You know, are they, you know, culturally, are they kind of accepting of, you know, getting into your organization and working with you as a brand, you know, on a long term basis? Is that acceptable culturally? Is that a kind of more attractive style? And we certainly see, you know, some cultures being very, very about building the relationship for the long term and others. It's much more transactional. It's much more about short term gain. Um, you know, typical example of building the longer term future um, could be the more sort of Mediterranean countries, those countries that border the Mediterranean, where, you know, long term family relationships count for so much more than in a much more kind of transactional style, maybe more northern European um, approach. So knowing these little nuances is really, really important. And so the kind of debate goes on. You can see here, even just purely from considering culture, there's a lot that goes into this. So we're going to kind of, if you like, jump and sort of you know, dance across each of these various criteria um, to just really get a sense of what is going to be appropriate. What are some of the factors that you need to think of to take your international marketing forward within sort of campaigns and communication? 
So we've looked a little bit there at some kind of sort of uh, cultural preferences, but what are the sensitivities that come along with that? And how do you then focus on those sensitivities in your messaging and the way you present your products? Now, we've got a word here that comes in, and I always kind of smile at this word because it's actually quite an interesting one, which is localization. In other words, being global, but also acting locally. So thinking globally, but acting locally, globalization. So, you know, you might be a global organization, but actually the way that that manifests at a local level means that um, you're identifying elements in the campaigns that just need to be more local because you're being sensitive to cultural differences or you're being sensitive to how your products and services, irrespective of your sector, how they would be perceived in those markets. Um, and of course, global branding itself doesn't mean the same thing in every market. So even the name that you go to market with could be fundamentally differently perceived in a different market. So you've got to check all these things out very, very carefully. And also how, and we'll talk about this in a minute, how things translate into other languages. Because again, some words are very acceptable. Some words are kind of internationally renowned and, and accepted, whereas other words can have a completely different meaning. So actually having a local speaker and a local um, kind of citizen to give you that kind of feedback is obviously really important. Um, and we've seen loads and loads of examples of this over the years. I mean, a really nice one um, is the um, one that's um, been, you know, sort of quoted a lot in, in, in recent times, which um, just grabbed uh, an image here from the Daily Mail, who did a big article on the McDonald's and how their um, sort of chicken sandwiches around the world are kind of reiterated for different markets. Um, and certainly if you do any kind of traveling and you go into places like McDonald's around the world, Starbucks, very, very similar, uh, where these are big global chains, but they will, you know, they will make things slightly sort of tuned, if you like. So the fundamental offering is the same, but there is a real cultural sensitivity. So within Japan, you will get a different kind of flavor, literally, of the brand. So it's the same product, but the way that it's packaged and offered and the way that the proposition is presented to you as a customer in that country is much more aligned with what you do. Um, and the particularly um, the uh, Arabic version there in the bottom left-hand corner of the uh, Macarabia chicken uh, sandwich here um, is just really interesting because rather than being in what we might just find in a sort of Western world uh, would be the bun, the typical um, sort of McDonald's bun here, we see it in a flatbread. So again, reflecting back something that is much more easy, and I will use this phrase, easier to consume by that local um, that local culture. So again, we're talking here about food products, but it applies in every single sector. So just think a little bit about, you know, what would the level of, um, let's call it customization or localization that I'd need to do if I wanted to break into a particular you know, new culture? Because we're not really talking specific countries here necessarily. We're talking about much more cultural sensitivity. And if you take that down to the next level of detail, it's really important to remember that we are still going to be practicing in this international marketing where it's a campaign or it's a product launch or whatever it happens to be, we're still going to be practicing good marketing planning. So the next level down would be to focus on segmentation. 
So we'd be focusing here at an international level slightly differently. So rather than necessarily just demographics, we're going to look at psychographics. So this will give us a real kind of sense of the um, the more kind of preference driven sort of framework of what we're offering here. So we're looking at, you know, rather than just purely sort of data driven, we're going to have data driven there and a lot of um, sort of successful um, sort of analysis of overseas markets will be data driven. You'll be able to do a lot of desk research. You'll be able to grab, you know, reports from local markets. Um, you know, there are a lot of government reports if you're in the UK or the US. A lot of government um, sort of activities and agencies work on helping you to export. So you can tap into the government's um, export departments to help you get this and gather this data. But a lot of it is freely available through infographics and you can even use AI. Uh, we'll talk a little bit specifically about how you can use AI in profiling international audiences in a moment. But what we're looking at here is to do a deeper dive into segmentation and also then how we would use that uh, in the STP model, uh, which is segmentation, targeting and positioning to kind of align what you currently do with some new segments that are driven by preferences and behaviours and cultures as much as they are by the definition or the, you know, the, the normal demographic definition of how we break that segment down. So it's, it is more detailed, it is more complex, but the data and the information is out there. So here's a little visual here for the uh, STP uh, marketing model. Uh, thanks from uh, presentationgo.com, um, which is beautifully sort of uh, defined here. You do this in order. So again, this is great for doing it in um, your kind of local market, but when it comes to the international market, it becomes ever more important. So you're gonna do your segmentation. So you're gonna divide the market that you're looking to target or at least understand and audit into smaller groups of customers with similar needs and characteristics. So the kind of stuff that you would have done, but in the international sense, add in preferences, add in culture, add in little nuances of the local market as far as you can, as you build that segmentation profile. Then you can go into the uh, looking at um, how you're going to select one or more of these segments to focus on and communicate with. So there's the first thing in terms of the top tip for international marketing campaigns is priorities. You do not have to hit the whole market. You can select a sub-segment of that market, that international audience, and do some testing, run some draft campaigns, do it at a small focused level to prove the process, to make sure it works, to make sure you're comfortable with the activities and the systems and processes you're doing. And then you can then start to position things really successfully. So you can work on your pro your propositions, you can start to create a a really distinct um, and favorable image in the minds of these new markets and take it slowly and take it steadily. What we're not looking to do here is a, a revolution. A lot of people are often tasked with, you know, we want to break into this particular international market, go and you know, do some country research and we want to launch next month. I would always say from experience, play the long game. Take your time over the planning and the auditing, evaluate, 
profile and then prioritize. Doing that steadily and carefully will save a lot of time and a lot of energy in the long run. Uh, there is a temptation that you see these, you know, golden opportunities, um, you know, sort of maybe sort of, you know, emerging from these overseas markets, but they are complicated. And we'll talk a little bit about how you can maybe tap into people on the ground uh, in a little while. Now you'll find, and this is just a little example, simple little example from quantummarketer.com, um, which um, analyzes some of the uh, music streaming um, audience in terms of some of the uh, kinds of infographics that you can find on the web. And I thought this was just quite a nice one because it gives you as well, and this would be something else you'd want to factor in to this early audit of these new countries that you're going to target. It gives you... Um, really a view, if you like, of, you know, what is the market currently served by? So who are the key players? What are the demographics age-wise that are picking up the kind of products and services that I'd be interested in offering? You know, what are the gender demographics? What kind of balance do these players, what kind of market share already exists? And you'll find, and this was from a very, very quick little example that I uh, did a quick little search on, um, you'll find there's a lot of data out there uh, a lot of people have already done this kind of research for you because there will be other um, people, other marketers have gone before you, curious in terms of the market you're looking to review. And the reason for choosing this one, which is uh, music streaming services, is because I thought it would be quite interesting to get a sense of the dynamics and the preferences. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, the dynamics and the preferences within that particular country, but actually based on different sectors. Because, of course, if you think about your target audience, it isn't just about the products and services you offer. They have a broader lifestyle going on. So think when you're profiling them and segmenting them, think about creating some real personas and think about the other products, the other services that you could then also research to get a sense of well, what is their lifestyle like? What do they actually do that is different to the current demographic that I normally target? So looking at other sectors that could also be influencing them in their day-to-day -day living can also give you a you know, really interesting insight into the world that you're tapping into because it isn't just a direct relationship, you and them, they're already living in this, this kind of dynamic environment. And so then what we need to do is having identified who we're going to be thinking of targeting with our little test campaign, it is about kind of setting up some targets and some expectations. It's very likely that if you're working in an organisation where you've been tasked with putting together a plan or a campaign to test out a new market, that the expectations will be very, very high. So what you need to do is kind of rein things back in a little bit to do something at a very test or pilot level before you begin the big full-on scalable launch. So using things like Google Analytics, SEMrush, you know, get a view of AI, get some social media insights for setting and tracking your campaign performance. This is all about focusing on very much KPIs, key performance indicators to set your international market kind of expectations, if you like, at a certain level. So, you know, this will be very exciting for your organization, probably. So people can very easily, very quickly get carried away by the scale of the opportunity. And particularly if having done the research, you think, wow, that's a huge market. 
But of course, it's a huge market that doesn't include you. So for you to have the audacity as an organization to think you can just step in and clean the market up when it's already existing in a very, very likely way, then that is actually more than audacious. It's actually a little bit arrogant. So what we've got to do is prevent our organization from falling into that kind of arrogant sense of mind. So the way to do that is to focus on getting some really sensible KPIs, some key performance indicators that are going to give you some feedback on your campaign, on your approach into that market, and then report it back using something like the balance scorecard, because that will give you a sense then of the reality of the situation that you're facing. So it's great having a positive attitude. It's great setting some maybe stretch targets, but look at this as something that you're trying to break into somebody else's party here. You know, why should the world suddenly face in your direction when it already exists and is already being served elsewhere and very likely being served by a local, a locally based offering? So you may well be looking to break into something where there's already an established heritage of local organizations who actually deliver pretty good value already. So your trick here is to kind of rein everyone and everything back in and say, look, this is an exploratory investigation into the opportunity. Let's not expect too much too soon. But the trick, of course, by using balanced scorecard, if you haven't used this before, it's really important to kind of, you know, sense how well this can work for you, is that if you can use your KPIs, align those with the strategic targets that your organization has. So your indicators are kind of pointing to how well you're progressing towards hitting your targets, then you, because you're using balanced scorecard, can balance this really sensibly. So rather than just thinking, hey, it's all about marketing performance or, you know, the amount of reach in my socials and all those kind of very Marcoms kinds of things, you can balance these reports and these KPIs in a financial sense, in a customer focused sense, in a building a process for an international marketing campaign sense. And then also the kinds of gaps that you identify that you can then plug with learning and growth. And that's probably your personal learning and growth. So training or gaps or maybe further audits or maybe further resources that you need to tap into to be able to do this big time. So by using Balanced Scorecard, you're not just reporting on campaign results, you're creating a process. And again, for a lot of us, breaking into a new market, particularly one that is over the horizon in some international kind of sense, and then actually doing it this way is really good because we're building a robust process and system as we go about actually creating our pilot campaign. So there must have been people who've done this before. And I can tell you, having done this before myself on a number of occasions, yes, there are. There are successes and there are failures. I'm going to share a couple with you uh, in just a second. Uh, one is you know, Starbucks expansion into China, focusing on local preferences, which has worked so well. And the growth that they've seen and experienced uh, in China by being very, very sensitive to the local customs and culture and preferences and styles and behavioral patterns and purchase um, you know, preferences, all of those things, they've got it absolutely right. Uh, so that's a well-documented case study. Um, and at the other end of the spectrum, Walmart's exit from Germany, which, you know, because of cultural misalignment, assuming that the German market will be just like our market at home, 
it was a catastrophic failure and actually had to kind of you know, pull out of that market. Now, you can go to the Harvard Business Review and just do a search on uh, these two examples. Because what these will do is allow you to kind of really understand and explore from researching more international case studies like this. Um, so the visual I'm going to share with you um, is kind of the growth and the number of Starbucks stores in China over the last sort of 15 or 16 years or so. So they've been doing this for some time. So hence, it is the long game. Remember I said about you not going to be able to crack or break a market overnight. Look how long this has taken, but look where they are. They've moved from pretty much no profile back in 2015 to 2017, nearly 3,000 stores across China, both on a company-operated basis, so they've been able to grow from inside, as well as licensed stores using a kind of franchise-style model. So, you know, you can do this if you're willing to commit to the long term. So that's a really, really interesting one. And I grabbed this little review, as I say, with the Walmart example um, and its failure in Germany. There was um, there's a lot of research on this one and a lot of reporting on this one. But I liked this one as a particular style of reporting back this particular case study, um, because this is a particular one that's used the pest um, process. So a big kind of macro analysis to break down, well, why was it unsuccessful? And of course, as part of your evaluation of the marketplaces, and your balance scorecard. It's not just about reporting back the balance scorecard. What you're going to need to do if you're running this international campaign <coughs> is to think, OK, those are the numbers. That's the report. There's my analysis. That's what I see. What does this mean? And actually go deep into why the reasons why the outcome is the outcome or why those KPIs are amber, not green or red, not amber. So that you get a real sense of actually what's going on. Um, and, you know, they've um, this, this guy's actually highlighted, you know, four specific areas using macro analysis of why Walmart failed in Germany economically. Um, it's uh, Germany's a very, very competitive, low margin industry in this particular sector. Um, and so that wasn't necessarily, um, you know, trying to break into a, an already saturated country was not a good move. Um, from a political perspective, um, the policies in Germany were not conducive to the entrance of big retailers into the country. Um, a load of other kind of things as well uh, that were going on there politically at the time, which, again, were not conducive. Um, socially, people in Germany were very price uh, conscious. And overall, the culture in Germany was very different to that in the US at the time. Um, and a big one as well, technologically, um, German technology and German retail um, is amongst the best in the world. It really is world class. So breaking in with maybe a slightly substandard series of um, supply chain technologies was not a smart move. So you combine these little, well, they're big, big pieces, obviously, at the scale of Walmart, but you combine these smaller elements together and you can see there's a big fundamental failing in, in a number of different areas. So what you could do is learn from this and actually think, OK, if I do a pest analysis in this target market that I'm looking to break into alongside a pilot study, a pilot campaign to just see how we're perceived, if I pull together macro, 
bit of micro pilot campaign, set some solid little KPIs here to report back how we're doing against these lovely, you know, stretch targets that the business is setting me. I can then evaluate in a more holistic sense. And that will give you the kind of control that you're going to need. So when you come to kind of roll this out, one of the first things that you'll think about will be, okay, can I actually do this myself? Or do I need to be kind of bringing, you know, multidisciplinary teams together um, to actually make this happen? Now, the chances are, the answer very quickly, you're going to find is going to be yes. Um, I'm going to talk to you in a minute about um, Tuckman's uh, group development stages. Tuckman is a, a sort of psychologist who has created these uh, forming, storming, norming and performing um, kind of group development stages um, of how to put a team together. Uh, it's a particularly useful and particularly well used uh, method of actually developing an international team around you, because there will be a lot of challenges that will be very different to managing a team who literally sit next to you, around you um, in the office. Because as soon as you go to an international level, you will undoubtedly want people on the ground. Okay, so this is a, a fundamental step change. Even if you think, well, it's all very well you say that, Neil, but actually, you know, it, it is all about us and kind of pushing this forward. And, you know, I think we could probably manage some of the early stages of the uh, the planning, you know, just from desk research or doing it remotely. But I will tell you that very, very quickly, you will get far better gains if you've got people on the ground, people in country. Now, how you decide to do that is very much down to you and how you decide to communicate and coordinate them, particularly if these are across very, very different time zones. So you could be looking, you know, if you're based in the UK, you could be looking to be doing this in the Far East, for example, where, you know, by the time you're waking up, they're going to sleep. So it is, it's complicated. You've got to really plan this out really well. And I found this really interesting one from accountablenow.org um, for kind of just getting you to start thinking about how am I going to position people around me? And this could be people who aren't necessarily direct reports, but they could be people who you or somebody in your organization knows, or maybe somebody in your supply chain can give you an introduction to somebody in this new market. Um, it could be that as a result of making connection with an export agency from your government, um, you could decide, well, actually, that's quite interesting because, you know, they're giving me some connections on the ground. And there are, of course, introducers, there will be brokers, there will be, you know, people who will set up for you an infrastructure in that local marketplace. Now, it could be at this stage, it's too early in the game to do that, but just know that's possible. So what you need to do, and this is where I would always get a flip chart and some post-it notes out and start to plot out who do I need as resources around me? You know, who do I already know? Where are the gaps? What kind of role would they be performing? How would I link to them? How would I communicate to them? How are we going to kind of come together as a team? What am I going to kind of be asking of them? Do I need to remunerate them? Do they need to be paid at this stage? Or could they, again, if they're looking to become maybe a partner in that local territory and you're going to use them as your representative locally? And I've seen this work really well because, of course, they've got the local knowledge. So you can both pick their brains as well as use them tactically on the ground uh, to, to roll out the particular campaign or initiative that you have. So by plotting it out, and yours won't look anything like this. Yours, you know, when you're actually doing yours, will look different. But 
who and how many and what kind of scale are you working to? Who do you need? I'd start there. You know, who do I actually need to get this thing off the ground? And then who do I know to fill these roles um, and, and push the boat out when you're starting to, you know, kind of really do this? Because you've got an opportunity here to do a, a what if exercise. What if I could have all the resources I want? Now, the chances are you're not going to actually get that. But why not at this stage? Because you're planning. If you go for the what if scenario and if by adding up all these resources, yeah, it's a little bit more expensive than the budget you've got to spend, but actually it creates an ROI here because you can see with your key performance indicators that you're going to be able to achieve a lot more, maybe in a shorter time because of that local representation and knowledge, then maybe it is worth investing a little bit more. So it's going to, it's going to be part of your kind of, if you like, um, portfolio armory of this kind of decision making and helping others in the organization to understand the scale and agree with you, the scale or not, uh, that you're going to be rolling this out for. And then when you get, this was the um, uh, Tuckman stages of group development uh, thing I told you about. Uh, once you've got the team together, you need to understand that things are not necessarily going to always follow um, completely um, you know, the plan that you set at the outset. And this is often because of a number of things that have an international perspective in other words language you know if you're dealing with people whose um, you know, his language is not first language is not the same as yours you then have to make sure your communication uh, the style and tone of voice that you're using is very very clear um, it could be that you're working in an environment where you have multiple different cultures and multiple different nationalities within your team so just thinking that everybody's going to be like you and perform just like you is simply not going to be the case. Uh, I was very fortunate back earlier in my career working in a marketing management role where I was one of a number of representatives from different European countries. And we would meet once a month in a different country. We'd all kind of take it in turns to rotate it, to talk about the European campaigns. And then we'd all go back and do our local versions of them. But for me, it was just so clear that so many different countries have very different styles of meeting in that sense. And we would all come to the meeting with our kind of cultural, almost stereotype, if you like. So I would be there in a very British way, wanting to kind of get the plan there and do this and do that. And, you know, wouldn't want to take a long lingering lunch because I wanted to get the job done. Whereas other nationalities, you know, wanted to have a much more kind of relationship building kind of meeting. Um, so it was, it's a very, very different thing when you enter into an international market. So embracing those differences, of course, you know, because you're going to get different perspectives and it's fascinating seeing those different perspectives emerge, but knowing that it isn't always easy. So by really listening and using a model like this, it's just a lovely little reminder of those differences, but how to then start to think about managing, communicating, collaborating, and then just constantly feeding back progress so that everybody knows at every point in this journey where you actually are. And again, that's where your balanced scorecard can obviously come into play. And then when you get into market, you're starting then to build the campaign. So you've got the targets, you've got your focus, you've prioritized, you know who you're going to be focusing on. You've got your representation both locally and here. Um, so you're kind of you're ready to go. So you've got your big plan together. You're good to go. Then comes the 
the real kind of diligence, if you like, of your campaign. Because at this point, even with a pilot campaign, you have to be navigating regulatory and legislation challenges. And I'm going to call them challenges, not problems, because they're not. They are there to protect both you and that locality. And the regulations are different in different parts of the world. So here in on the European continent, we are very, very familiar with GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation. But elsewhere in the world, and I'm going to just show you a little checklist of some of the different little things that are going on in international markets. You need to do your pestle analysis. We know that for understanding the political and legal environments, particularly when it comes to understanding the local regulations, but then actually create a checklist for the countries that you want to target and know that they are going to be fundamentally different. I mean, just look at this list of the different things that you can encounter if you're trying to enter you know, a range of countries. I've just taken this list you know, from across the world, but you know, some are similar to GDPR, so some are going to feel quite um, sort of similar and probably best practice is going to apply. But then there are some very, very, very country-specific ones. And again, if you get into some of the countries where you know potentially some of the audiences are very very high wealth and we're looking sort of particularly at russia or china and um, any of these countries if you know you're permitted uh, in your sector to be um, operating or if it's appropriate to be operating in these countries then you know there are very very specific laws um, and it's not just regulation it's legislation so this is law and that for me is the difference regulatory is about kind of principles and policies sometimes it's self-policing whereas legislation is law um, and again in an international market you need to understand that difference because you do not want to be infringing legislation if you're trying to break into an international marketplace because then your legal team is going to be very very busy so doing your due diligence doing the research getting that search done, but again, tapping into the knowledge and the understanding of your local representative. That can be a very, very good way of doing it. And then deciding actually how you're then going to position your product or your service or your brand, deciding whether or not you are going to look at product adaptation or you're going to look at product standardization. OK, I'm going to share with you in a minute KFC's menu adaption in China, uh, which is a really interesting uh, little example here, which will kind of hopefully bring this to uh, to light. Um, and there is a matrix, as with all these things, there's a little bit of theory that uh, has gone before you. So you can kind of be drawing on best practice. And it's the PCA matrix. But the whole idea here is really what you're trying to do is to set some guidelines for yourself to decide, because hopefully this isn't going to be a one time activity. But if you set some some guidelines for deciding between whether you're going to do standardization of products or you're going to do some adaptation of your products will help you then as you come to roll these uh, particular initiatives or campaigns out across different target markets. But first of all, let's just have a little look at this first one. Now, this one is really interesting. Um, and the reason that for me this one's really interesting is because it is so different to the international offer that KFC would put out uh, for some of their uh, their products. Um, this is uh, rice bowls, which is very, very specific to some countries here. Um, so we are looking at these, uh, these rice bowls, the two actually in the image here. Uh, one is a flavored rice bowl that is very specific to the Japanese market. And then you have a similar kind of product 
but it's actually um, sort of differently flavoured for the Spanish market. But these are rice bowls. How many rice bowls did you see uh, if you're in New York, for example, in KFC or in the UK, in London? You know, you just wouldn't physically see these products. So this is the interesting thing about this is you can have the fundamental core product, but you're either going to start to um, adapt it for that local uh, area or you're going to standardize it across a number of different territories, but with a local spin to it. So again, this is all about the decision making. And of course, as you adapt your products, you need to be doing the ROI calculation for the return that you are potentially going to get so that you can monitor it. Because of course, to adapt, to um, you know, create these differentials of your products and services will cost you. So it's important to understand that that is you know, a key strategic decision that has to be backed up behind the um overall decision making that your business not just you in marketing but that your business is actually going to be taking so it gets complicated you've got to get this stuff right because you can waste a lot of money and attention um a lot of resources um, and budget um, by kind of like almost just paying lip service to it. it's like oh we'll, we'll just try or we'll, ju- we'll just do this if you find yourself using the word just then you know there's more planning to do So here's the model. Um, There's a nice uh, little matrix here for you um, to decide just how much change you would like. Um, It could be that this is an opportunity when you start to look at it, that this is an opportunity for new product development. Now, I'm not condoning that necessarily for doing a pilot campaign, but if having rolled out a pilot campaign or two, you decide that actually the opportunity is big enough. We've now got enough evidence to know the market wants it. This particular country is aligned with our brand culturally. We've kind of hit the mark. Right. We now know this is the product they want. So you've kind of almost bought your right to add more value. So you're starting to then increase your product portfolio by developing very country specific products. Well, the question is, no, you're not. So at the other end of the spectrum is, no, we're going to put into the marketplace just a translation, literally, of what we currently do in our local market. And if you do that and that's appropriate, then that is the right answer. So I'm not saying you have to do fundamental changes. I'm just saying you've got to think this through and you've got to be careful about how that works out. And of course, all the things that we're looking at here is very much looking to kind of leverage opportunity, leveraging the activities that are happening and also global trends. So keeping your eye as you go through your international marketing campaign or broader research project, identify and utilize global consumer and technology trends. Be looking at the bigger picture always as a marketer or as a digital practitioner, have one eye on the macro. Constantly be just looking on um, the the kind of the marketing media pages, Um, you know, have some good sources, be using X, formerly Twitter, for example, to create some lists so you can kind of track how certain markets are going. Look at all the big players, people like Forrester, for example, What kind of things are they reporting on? You know, a lot of those white papers have excerpts and those excerpts can often give you a flavor of where the opportunities are. So watch those trends. Nike, great, great example of um, an organization who devotes a lot of resources, literally millions to embrace 
global fitness trends and they adapt their strategies accordingly. So it is about kind of keeping one eye and one ear open at all times. So one eye and one ear is actually on your campaign, but another eye or ear is on um, looking at the broader picture that can influence. And of course here, you know, here's a nice example that Nike will have drawn upon the global sportswear market is you can be looking, as I said earlier, outside of your industry to get a sense of actually what is going on in particular marketplaces, because this will give you as a marketer, a sense of well, what is the bigger picture? Can I spot from maybe even this infographic, which is completely unrelated to what I do? You know, I don't use, you know, I don't do, well, I use, but I don't do in my professional sense. I don't do global um, sportswear. I don't do clothing. I don't do sports shoes. But if I see this as a trend and as a significant trend, particularly here in uh, the shoes uh, within sportswear, is there anything in that piece of knowledge, that piece of information that I could translate and evaluate that me in my sector could actually learn from? So this is being a really all-round marketer. The beauty of international marketing is once you open this up, you cannot refuse to see opportunities coming at you from every direction with different cultures, different countries, different products, different kind of industries that you would normally not be looking at on a day-to-day -day basis. And then it gives you an opportunity. Where do you want to play? Because this is an opportunity that will open up as you start to then evaluate the success of this first few steps you're putting in. Do you want to be, as part of your brand, going into these new markets, do you want to be you know, talking to the innovators, the early adopters, or do you want to be playing in a marketplace that, you know, is all about focused on, you know, the late majority, people who, you know, have been in a very kind of well-established, you could call it a mature marketplace. Where do you want to be? You know, because aligning your brand in a marketplace, once you look at those trends, a marketplace that is moving, because even the slowest moving markets are moving, then it gives you an opportunity to make decisions based on the markets you're targeting. So it's all super, super aligned with the brand proposition that you have. So what kind of tools are going to help you to do all of this? Well, if you can do want to do some market research and get some insights, there are tools. You've got tools for cross-cultural communications platforms. There are some that are going to give you, you know, good sort of translation apps, etc. Um, you can do international SEO and content management. Um, that's a really, really useful thing once you start to roll this out. Uh, localized advertising and social media management. You know, Hootsuite, for example, has geo-targeting. Google Ads have market finder, things that you wouldn't normally associate with just serving an existing market. If you want data analytics and customer insights, Tableau or Hotjar are going to show you what different landing pages for these different target audiences, how they're performing and how do people in that country respond to this landing page differently to what you'd normally expect. And that's what you're looking for here. You're looking for the difference. You're looking for trends. You're looking for things that will make your uh, products and services stand out and sizzle in this new marketplace on your understanding of the difference between that market and your existing market. That's kind of the fundamental role here within international marketing campaigns. 
And the lovely thing to know is even if you're listening to this and thinking, okay, Neil, but I don't have a big team. I don't have all these resources. In fact, I had no connections overseas, but I just get a sense from the things I'm seeing that there could be an opportunity for me over there somewhere, but I'm not really quite sure. Then leverage AI. Okay, AI is going to give you a lot of insights. So the likes of ChatGPT, others are available, are going to be there in this conversation. So even if you have nobody working for you, so you are a team of one, you now are a team of two because you can get into chat with somebody or something, let's call it something, uh, i.e. ChatGPT, who actually does have the data. They've got access to the data. So you've now got a team member and you can leverage AI in your campaigns and in your plan. You can do it for the research to get customer insights. You can help it, use it to help you plan the campaign and personalize. Use it to target and do your customer segmentation. You know, the content creation and localization, that's an absolute no-brainer. We know it can do that. But if you want to do programmatic advertising on a geographically targeted basis, it can help you do that too. And of course, now with the new kind of data analytics feature in ChatGPT, it will help you with your performance analysis and optimization. So my my big, big recommendation here is if you're curious, if you want to take those first few steps, yes, it is about learning some of the theories and the best practice, which hopefully I've shared with you here and it's been interesting, but it's about getting chatting with AI because the answer is out there. The opportunity is out there. And that's really what you need to be plugging into. So understand the local regulations. That's going to be key. Make sure you use ChatGPT to help you with that. Think about cultural sensitivities and this idea of localization. You know, just imagine yourself on the ground in that country or on that territory. How is it different? How does it look different? I mean, obviously, if you can get to visit it, that's so much the better. But a lot of us are doing, you know, digital marketing remotely now in this sense. So, you know, getting as much local data and information that you can turn into really powerful intelligence is key. And for that, you can leverage your AI and do your data analytics with AI. So learn how quickly how to do that, because on an international basis, that really is your friend. In fact, that's probably possible possibly the most valuable resource that you've got at your disposal right now. Make sure that you are effective in your cross-cultural communication. You can't lose sight of your core market. One of the things that I've seen you know, businesses do over the years is, oh, they get very carried away with the international marketing and they forget they've got a core market at home to serve. So this is really, really key to make sure that you do not cannibalize your own existing business. Maybe here the 80-20 rule, 80% is focused on existing business and maybe 20% is this exploration into this new international market. Because of course, what you're doing with that 20% is continuously learning and adapting as you go. So if there are two things I can really share with you is get GPT on your side, get it to help you do all of these things. So begin the conversation with it and really brief it well and, and listen to what it feeds back to you. Um, you know, take on board the challenges that it comes back with, because that will be very, very valuable. And the second piece of you know, guidance and advice that I've learned from very harsh experience over the years is to document everything. One, because you might need it um, in the future, but two is so that you feel like as you go into this, it is more than just marketing campaign. What you're doing is you're actually building a robust, diligent, solid process. 
So there's a process that will use all of the kind of assets and the um, systems and the um, technologies that we've talked about, as well as human beings, of course, but actually it's a process that you're building. So the most successful international marketers obsess about process because it's complicated, it's very detailed. And if you do not build it as a process, you can get very swamped very, very quickly. So it's a great opportunity. I wish you all the best of luck with it. And if you want to connect with me and share your success stories, it would be great to hear. So connect with me uh, on socials at Neil Wilkins X if we aren't already connected. And of course, Keep in touch with all the rolling program of uh, college webinars that we have, marketingcollege.com slash events for the upcoming um, program uh, that we have. And we're going well into next year now. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of topics that are coming on stream uh, and they will build on this this kind of topic and others. So I wish you every success with your um, dabbling and your exploration into international marketing. And I hope you have a really great campaign and a lot of great learning en route.